You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 99 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we are so proudly coming to you from the Emma S. Clark Memorial Library in Setauket, New York, our, my home library, and my colleague Emily Ostrander's home library. The Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter, at The Library Pros, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Consider leaving a review or telling someone about us, because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. So today joining us is Emily Ostrander, Teen and Adult Services Librarian at the M.S. Clark Memorial Library. I remember the S. You did. I remember the S. You know what it stands for? I don't know. Branding is all I know. Isn't it Sarah? Sarah. It is Sarah. We found yeah. that out like last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I remember Lisa DeVerna. We'll name drop there. She's our absolutely social media Fantastic. manager. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. She's the best. Incredible. And she found out, she found like an old article from somebody that it was Sarah. So Emily's going to talk to us about what it's like to start as a teen librarian just before the pandemic and how she pivoted to bring services to teens at home with low and high tech and what it was like to come back into the building. But first, let's get to know her. So this is exciting to be at the M.S. Clark Memorial Library. And although Bob works here, we never touched on how historic it is here. So it's nice to be in-house together, actually podcasting in the same room. So you seem to be someone who's a lifelong library lover. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about your career here at Emma. So I started at Emma Clark as a staff member when I was 16 years old. But I moved into the area when I was seven, and I've essentially lived in the library since that point. I was homeschooled pre-K through 12th grade, so we were at the library at least once a week, if not every other day. And as soon as I was old enough to volunteer at the library as a teen, I was volunteering in as many programs as I could, all those sorts of things. And when I was old enough to get the working papers, 16 years old, I applied to be a page here. Uh, That was back in 2012, and I've worked my way up ever since then. I went from page to part-time librarian in children's, and then most recently a full-time librarian in teen services. So that is my short history. (laughs) What she's telling you is she has a really good stake in our retirement system. That's what she's telling you. I started, yes, yes. I was going to say, I went in my first first paycheck. It's all all in there. So she currently has 32 years in, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I have the pleasure of working with you every day and seeing the amazing things that you're bringing to the teen services area. And so in working here at Emma, uh, what did you learn during your rise to librarian? Rise to library <laughs> that maybe a library school program or something like that can't really prepare you for. Honestly, all of the patron interactions. I think all of the patron services is not something that – so they hypothetically teach it to you in the reference classes. They teach you how to look things up. And whatnot, but they don't teach you any of the social aspect or any of the interactions that you're going to face on a daily basis. We have all kinds of people walking through the door and you have to sort of turn on a dime anytime somebody comes in and just sort of read the room as to what personalities you're dealing with, what level of help they're going to want, and just what kind of an attitude um, you want to bring to the interaction. Because patrons, they will they will feed off of how you are presenting to them and they will come back in the same way. That last piece is something most people don't know. I mean, if you're listening to the podcast for the first time and that's all you get from this entire episode Mm -hmm. is the attitude that you portray in the, in the moment Mm -hmm. is what the patron will, will bring back to you. Yeah. Give the energy you want to get. Literally. (laughs) It's a mirror. What most people Mm -hmm. don't know. And Emily's so young in the position and so young in her age to, to understand that now that like it's, it's great that she brings that to the table here because I can show you people. Of course, they don't work here. They work in other libraries that don't get that. And they've been in the field for so long. You know, we've had people not here, of course, that just have that that attitude behind the desk that the patron then picks up on. Like mm-hmm. this person doesn't even want to help me, you know, Correct. that kind of thing. And then the patron's like, oh, I'm wasting their time. Mm-hmm. But yet, really, our time is for them. And That's why you're I don't there. think I don't think yep. people bring that, or they lose that over time. Yeah. So if you have people that have been working in the field for so long, they get burnt out. I mean, everybody. Mm-hmm. I think all of us at this table. Even as young as we are, know what burnout feels like, mm-hmm. and that's that's what happens. And you portray that to the patron, portray that burnout to the patron, or maybe things aren't just right at the job or just right at home, and you bring that yeah. to their to their interaction with them, and they give that right back to you. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Emily is so good at, at dealing with that and reading the room and picking up on personality types and making the right decision. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's three quarters of it. You have to, you almost have to diffuse the situation before it even starts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the, your demeanor with the patron is going to make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we train. I mean, we do that here at Emma. We're really we good at yeah. training difficult circumstances. We do an active shooter training, which really covers a lot in the building, yeah. you know, of how to de-escalate things. You know, yeah. in fact, we just took a training the other day mm-hmm. on difficult conversations and de-escalating. So if your library is not doing that, go go out and get it, mm-hmm. you know, because really that's necessary. So Absolutely. So why team services? I ask this only because it's a fairly new service as far as the ethos of library land goes. And I know it would be challenging for me to work in a, in a teen department or a teen services role because I just don't have the skill set. And it's not something like with um, like here in Suffolk County with civil service, you have to have a special qualification to be a children's librarian. There is mm-hmm. no qualification like that for teens. So tell us what it takes to work basically with teens. Yeah. So going back to the first part of your question, I honestly sort of fell into teen services. When I went to school, I got my MLS in library science and I got the certificate in children and youth services, which does cover teens, YA services. So I took, I think, a grand total of two classes that had to do with teen things. And they're like, you're good to go. Bye. But I always sort of saw myself as a children's librarian because I started working in the children's department and I worked my way up the ranks. I did all the programs. I love the preschoolers. They're adorable. But in 2019, one of my coworkers, she uh, she wasn't uh, retiring exactly. She was changing positions. She wanted to move out of teen and into adult. And I just saw the opportunity for the position as a full-time librarian here. And I took it because Emma Clark is like my, my heart, my library. I never want to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> I sort of... I hemmed and hawed about it for the longest time. Like, do I, do I do this? Do I not do this? Do I want to go into teens? Like it's a whole other side of the building here. Teens is under um, adult in this library, not under youth services. So by switching over, I was basically leaving my entire children's family and moving into a whole new realm here. But I ended up doing it because I was like, you know what? This is, this is an opportunity I can't turn down. And then over time, as I worked here, I kind of I learned as I went, really. Um, my predecessor set me up fantastically. I mean, um, her name is Nanette. She booked out six months worth of programs. So I started in September 29th of 2019 was my first day over here. And she had set me up that like everything was booked through March of 2020. So I learned I didn't have to work on any of that learning how to do programming and that sort of thing, more just kind of getting used to the department, getting used to the patrons that I was working with. And then over time, you sort of learn how to work with the age group because teens are very little gremlin-y, I guess, if you want to put it that way. (laughs) Um, In that they are really, they're in that transitionary phase in their life. And as you said, it is a new sort of a service. I mean, teen services 90s 1990s like that really started to kick off i mean maybe the 70s a little bit like the first ya book hypothetically is the outsiders so you're thinking okay children's services have been going on for almost 200 years adult services have been going on since the beginning of libraries teen is really only like maybe 50 solid years old at this point so there's a lot of trial and error in this department in this uh, type of area Um, so one of the first things I learned about teen services is that, um, you want to treat the teens like they're full, like full human beings, because a lot of people look at teenagers. You are actually people. You are actually people. Yeah. A lot of people look at teenagers and they're like, either they're like, oh, it's just a kid that's a little bit taller or they're like, it's not worthy of being in the library. And you know, they're annoying, they're loud, whatever. They are my patrons, and I really want to serve them the best I can. So I try to meet them where they're at, and I try to kind of, you know, break the ice a little bit. One of the things that I like to do, honestly, um, is wear kind of fun literary t-shirts. I got that approved by my director uh, as to whether or not I could wear, like, quote-unquote, message-bearing t-shirts. So all of my t-shirts are library sort of related things, but I will wear them to work as opposed to a dress shirt. Because um, it gets the teens looking at me going, oh, wait, that's not a scary person. That one has, you know, a T-shirt. She that's gets interesting. it. She gets it. Yeah. So yeah. I'll start a conversation with a teen 
because they look at the shirt and they go, oh, that's really cool. And then we get into the more important things, the more, you know, library services. So it's just sort of like <laughs> trying things as you go and seeing what clicks. Yeah, I guess you have to do that with teens, too, because mm-hmm. they change so often, too. They do. What they like, what they don't like, what's in this week is out next week. And- yeah. And I try not to um, get too attached to anything because, as you said, they're very kind of – they do the change at any given time. So something that they liked last week, they may not like this week. Mm-hmm. And you have to just sort of roll with it. Like, oh, you're not reading that series anymore? Okay, let's talk about something completely different, you know? Or like, oh, you're not friends with that person anymore? Okay. All right, so let's, you know, you'll you'll find another friend. Something like that. Like, it's all, everything's changing at all the times for them. And lots of drama. Mm-hmm. Lots of drama. So much drama. Tons of drama. <laughs> so we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we will chat with Emily about what it's like to start as a teen librarian just before the pandemic and how she pivoted and what she and the Emma S. Clark Library are doing in the wake of it all. So we'll be right back. And we're back with Emily Ostrander. Okay, so let's go back to when you started working with teens as a librarian. What were your thoughts and ideas before March of 2020, and how did I those ideas pivot? And we'll talk about what you did like that after it happened in a few minutes. Um, so <laughs> before um, 20, March of 2020, uh, my thoughts as a teen librarian was basically to continue the work that my predecessor had done to, you know, keep going with the books and the book reviews and the programs and, you know, all of basically keep the status quo of what had been going on in the teen department. You didn't anticipate a global pandemic? No, no. Did you? No, I didn't either. Chris, did you anticipate a global (laughs) pandemic that would I can't anticipate what's going to happen in the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why you didn't anticipate that. No. So, yeah. So (laughs) I was kind of like, What's going on here works. I'm going to keep going with this. And then as soon as we shut down, which I was one of those people who was like, ah, we're not going to shut down. This is fine. We'll be fine. Whatever. Like canceling. We started canceling programs in the beginning of March. Like, okay, so this week we're canceled, but we'll be on for next week. Don't worry about it. You know, that sort of stuff. And then as soon as it became evident that this was going to be significantly bigger than we thought it was going to be, I had to – I – I don't want to say I had to think on my feet the most of everybody here, but I kind of really had to come up with stuff on the fly, like instantaneously, because um, in Three Village, March is the deadline for um, all of their PVSA, Presidential Volunteer Service Award and Honor Society Awards and those sorts of things. So usually what happens in March is that every teen known to man comes to the library and is desperate for community <laughs> service. <laughs> so we usually try to provide like extra programs and extra opportunities and you know the book reviews come flooding in and like all of March is just the teen librarian writing documentation letters for all the community service that the teens have done. And when we had to start canceling those programs, the teens started freaking out. And I was like I can't just leave I can't leave them high and dry. There's no way I can leave these kids high and dry because they've been working on getting these awards and these honor societies all year round. And they've been, you know, relying on these last few credits they were going to get through the library or through other services that were out there, other volunteering opportunities that also all shut down at the exact same time. And the awards and societies and stuff didn't really have a backup plan. Like they weren't saying, oh, it's it's fine. We'll take whatever you've got. We'll lower the number we need or whatever it is. Like it was just everything moved too fast for that. So all these teens, at least over 50 of them, came to me and uh, virtually at this point emailing and saying, like, I need to get my hours. How am I going to get my hours? I was relying on this. So my goals went from keep the status quo to, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And what do I need to create on the fly here? When we completely shut down, which I think I'm going a little ahead in the script here, but when we completely shut down at the library, there's no script. There's what no script? script. There's, there's no, no script. We never use a script. <laughs> Free ball and everything. When there's no script, no script. Amazing. We're not sure, listeners, what there's what no script. Emily's talking about script. Uh, would you like to on the fly ask <clears throat> me a question that has nothing to do with anything? Yes. Uh, let me just find my part in the script. I believe it's number two under my name, where it says, uh, "So now there's it's no March. Script. So now it's March 2020, and Emma, along with just about every other. No, let's really. 
So, so yeah. now it really, it's twenty. It's March twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and, and insane because we never thought we would actually shut down. Because how would that possibly happen? Yeah, Friday uh, the thirteenth, March twenty twenty. And not that anybody's counting. Yeah. Uh, and Emma, along with just about every library in the country that we know of, um, shut down. So tell us what you were thinking and how you love the word, how you pivoted, because there's no other way to describe it. Mm-hmm. You know, we did the computers and libraries. Emily spoke with us at computers and libraries, um, virtually, of course, talking about how um, not just Emily's um, group pivoted, but the whole library pivoted. So, yeah. So from, I mean, you arguably, absolutely, you were dealing with the most, um, the group in the service area that mm-hmm. had the most, I believe, one of the most impacts because they were relying on this yeah. to do things in their education. And, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, it was it was a big, big deal, probably Resumes, bigger than we realized. Yeah, probably bigger than we realized. Futures. And we needed to go from <laughs> stuff I should see you in the library for in 20 minutes to mm-hmm. I can't see you. How mm-hmm. do we do this? You know, so I guess explain a little bit about how you did that. Yeah. So, I mean, when it came down to like the most basic thing, like the documentation letters were previously always submitted by hand they were always um not handwritten but they'd be typed i'd sign they'd be signed and then they'd be picked up at the library in person by hand um and they resembled res- uh, recommendation letters in that the teens were not supposed to see what was written in them um pandemic hits and there is no way that these things can get to the teens because there's no way they can pick them up and we can't really mail them out because we don't have access to that sort of um supplies i guess for all intents and purposes um and everybody's kind of panicking and it's coming down to the deadline so um i reached out i think the schools reached out to me or i reached out to the schools one way or another we ended up um allowing for the the letters to be sent as pdfs so it kind of broke that seal of like privacy or whatever or secrecy of what's written into these letters but i mean all my letters, they were always, always, this is a great kid. They are fantastic at what they do. Here's all the art. Like, I didn't say anything like, so, so I really shouldn't get into the honor society. Like, it's always, <laughs> you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to write a letter for a kid that's going to ruin their life. Like, right. you know, but um, those letters were going out in PDF form. Um, the other things that I did, like, basically on the fly is I came up with community service opportunities they could do from home quickly as I possibly can. So we the only from-home community service we used to have at the Emma Clark Library was book reviews. Teens can read books, write a review, submit them on paper to the library, um, and they'd be put in a big binder in the teen room uh, for teens to peruse. That went out the window. Book reviews continued, but book reviews were submitted online. So they were emailing me all of those book reviews, and I was just kind of keeping them all for whenever we went back to the library. But at the same time, I also came up with film reviews. So that's an additional reviewing program. Um, I came up with uh, letters of encouragement because we were seeing that there were different um, organizations in the community that really needed some encouragement at this time. The hospitals, the, you know, frontline workers, all of those things. So the teens were, uh, we kind of, it worked on the honor system. The teens would write a letter to one of these pre- predetermined locations that the library, I um, created a list of all these different locations that would accept the letters. Teens would write the letter, send a picture to me, and then mail it themselves. So I, th- we, I want to say we sent almost over a thousand letters hmm. to different locations, especially like the hospitals and the fire departments and all I of mean, that. Frontline workers were going through um, hell, <laughs> yeah, deadly yeah. waves, deadly right. waves of dealing yeah. with this. And, so, yeah. um, so that was a very that um, community service has since um, shut down sounds too too harsh, but it basically like the purpose of that kind of fizzled out once everything sort of went back to um, a, a degree of normalcy. But at the time, it was a very, very important service that the teens were doing. So it was a way to give them community service without having to have them in the building doing something. Um, we also did uh, watch and learns where the teens would – watch a program on a specific topic that was related to the community and somehow would help benefit their community, they would answer a test packet on it and get community service for that as well. So I did a couple of different things like cyber safety and news literacy, um, banned books and intellectual freedom, the Dewey Decimal System, believe it or not, I taught them because I did a little like undercover um, check with the schools and I was like, are you teaching them the Dewey Decimal System anymore? And they're like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I figured they probably should know how to use that because that's a way for them to become independent library users so they're not going to have to ever um, come up to the desk and ask for something if they want to go get a book on a topic that they've 
don't want to ask about, they should be able to do that on their own and they can teach their peers how to do the same mm-hmm. information finding. So those were just some of the opportunities we had available. Um, and then one of the, the biggest ones, as soon as we were back in the building, we started doing take and makes. So um, take and makes were a kit and they started as just kits of like fun things. So like cake decorating kits or painting kits and that sort of stuff. So the teens could pick up the kit in the library and bring it home, complete the project at home. They either did it over Zoom um, or there was a pre-recorded video that went with it. Um, September of 2020, we started. I started looking at this take and make option and thinking to myself, is there a way that this can become community service? Like, is there a way we can go from just sending people home with stuff that they keep to sending people home with supplies that they can then turn into an item that can be brought back and donated. So that was one of my biggest, I think, community service How was that received by the kids? They loved it. Yeah. They still love it. So the take and makes were supposed to be temporary, hypothetically. They were supposed to fill a need when we couldn't have programs in the library. But they are one of the few programs that is still going ridiculously strongly since 2020 um, because the three villagers, I like to say that they're overscheduled and underslept because these kids have so much in their lives going on. I mean, they go to school and then they go to after after school and clubs and sports and, you know, tutoring and homework and all these things that are just taking over all their time. So um, when it comes to library services for them, it really has to be a program in-house has to be worth their time. So one of my biggest struggles is figuring out what is worth their time. And I've tried things and they've failed and it's okay. Like I've I tried um, we tried Zoom programs with the teens back when we were in lockdown. Nobody came. <laughs> huh, that's interesting. So, they wanted nothing. To that's do direct, with it. direct opposite of what happened with adults. Adults loved it, and it's and for adults, it's still going. There are still Zoom programs through the library for adults, um, but the teens. My guess is because they were doing all of their schooling online through um, initially Zoom and then something else. I think Google Classroom or something. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to sit and listen to another program yeah, online. They, they wanted nothing well, to do with it. I mean, school was the right. same. School, oh, was, yeah. school was like that. So as soon as you put school in that ball field, you're not coming. To play. Right. So yeah. That, and then they gravitated to TikTok and everything else like that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have, so, teen, we have teen daughters, right? They're not mm. getting on Zoom again if no. they've been on Zoom no. for seven hours. They're like, no. don't forget, you have that thing to do tonight on Zoom. They're like, Zoom? I'm not talking about Zoom until Monday. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, but it, the funny part is mm-hmm. FaceTime is okay. Oh yeah, well of course because that's their it's, yeah. well, social connection. Are, I was gonna right. say your friends are fun. That's their but, social yeah. connection, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some library programs do border on a feeling of school, depending. I it's try true. to stay away from that school feeling as much mm-hmm. as I can. We can but... edit that out, right, Chris? We don't have to. No, nothing to do with school. We can edit that right out. School <laughs> doesn't school. sound like school. At all. <laughs> library, no. library programs are the opposite of school. Yeah, totally. I was gonna say I try my best to make them not feel like school. Oh, you, you did know, good job. You did so good job. I try to make them more fun. Um, but yeah, the, so. Going back to the take and makes, um, they are still my most popular type of programming. So for in-person programming, um, the most we can put in the room, hypothetically, is 75 kids. Um, I've never had 75 teens show up to a program. I think the most I've gotten is maybe 40. Our still most, impressive. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely still quite impressive. But my most recent um, take and make, I got 90. Wow. 90 teens. All participated in that which, which, like you said, you'd never get in the building. Yeah, so, I would I mean, never get that many kids in the building. Right? These are these are big no. numbers. Oh yeah. yeah. So you know, it's like for every take and make, you've got at least almost three times as many teens involved in it, and it's one of those things that the community has reached out before at times when I haven't had something in the in the newsletter, like oh, we're just you know we're taking a break from take and makes right now. I get the emails that are like, where are the take and makes? So I'm like, hey, this is this is what they want. This is what we're going to keep going with. And, you know, it's a benefit to the teens and their their um, schedules. And it's a benefit to the, the locations that we create stuff for and we donate to. So, and ironically, all we had to do is find more shelving. That's, yeah. That's really all we had <laughs> to do. To continue to the programming was just find where am I going to put it? You can put it anywhere you want. Let's yeah. make it up. Yeah. We, we were not going to give up such no. a good service, a no. great service to the community that Emily had developed. Because we couldn't find storage, or because it didn't make more sense to continue to do it, and see where yeah. it went. If it if we had done it, mm-hmm. and you had decided, and all of a sudden it fizzled out, you know, Emily and her supervisor yeah, would have made the decision, mm-hmm. but it wasn't fizzling. No, and you can't. You know, so all we needed was storage. Yeah. and thankfully, mm-hmm. our director and Emily's supervisor Joan uh, 
you know, allowed us to find storage and try and give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And Emily just made it's, it take off like yeah. a rocket. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My next one coming up in November, um, I think it's, it can take up to 60 kids. I have enough kits for up to 60 and we're registered at 50. Registration opened like three days ago. Yeah. I mean, the following, so, the wow. following in the community is, is really crazy wild. around yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's, that's mm-hmm. great numbers. Which is it. a testament to how Emily's doing it. That's, you know. Yeah, if you if you do it right, mm-hmm. I think they say like if you do it, they'll come. With teens, I don't think that's the way. No. If you do it, right, you got to prove it. Mm-hmm. They're a hard customer. Yeah, if you can yeah. get trust from them, mm-hmm. or, or and you can get into their little niche, mm-hmm. their group, then they'll come. And mm-hmm. and Emily's been able to do this. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Thank you. So I guess you go next, Bob, because she answered my question. <laughs> Although let's take a deep dive into take and makes. I guess yeah, we, we just, just, did. We just yeah. Yeah. sorry. Coming up for so air now. I mean, you know what? It feels so so surreal to jump a year and a half mm-hmm. you know or almost two years just in a quick question mm-hmm. but what went on during that time is just insane i mean mm-hmm. to think that you would have to take an, an entire library let's go bigger than just teen services but yeah. take an entire library and try and mimic or create services that the community would need during a time because chris mm-hmm. as you know chris the last 10 or 15 years of library has been about the four walls. Yep. It's brick like, and mortar. It's a space. Mm-hmm. Come to the space. Check out the space. We've created a space. All of a sudden, you couldn't use it. was illegal for you to use yep. the space that you've been telling, not that you've been telling, but that, that we've created over the last 10 or 15 years. It was about the, the meeting room. It was about the programs you could hold. It was about the lawn. Mm-hmm. It was about the space. The and then all of a sudden, you mm-hmm. were told, you can't go to that space. So everything you do to serve the community... Find another way to do it, right. and uh, we'll probably need that tonight. You know, we'll need mm-hmm. that, but that that'll mm-hmm. be, you know, that'll come up to, to tonight. Mm-hmm. And everybody here and and in libraries across the country did what they always do. They showed up. You mm-hmm. know, so when DVDs went to USB and streaming came out, and everybody was like, "Oh, that's it. Libraries are dead." When books went, <laughs> when books went to overdrive, you know, yep. all these other oh, libraries are dead. I mean, how many times have people told us libraries are dead over mm-hmm. our career? Chris, we've been oh, doing this for twenty yeah. something years. Yeah, how many times have we heard libraries are dead? This is the thing that this is going to be the king. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, exactly. This is the thing. This is the nail in the coffin for libraries. We're done. You know, and it's never <laughs> happened because no. they pivot. And so we did that in teen services, and I mean, we did that as a library, we did that as a community, we did it as uh, as a country, really, right? Well, in many proves, ways, it actually proves the model that we're a community center more than we are a right. place where you come and get books. Yeah, and and that's I think where the big difference is. And there's always going to be that stereotype, you know, the librarian is a woman, she's in her 60s, she has gray hair, she has glasses, hair up in a bun, her yeah. glasses are on a chain, she's wearing pearls, and she's shushing everybody, and mm-hmm. she's saying no a lot. No, yeah, yeah, yeah no is your favorite yeah. word. Yeah. But so. it was impressive. I mean, to see to see the building shuttered up, you know, to see it Uncanny. basically illegal for you to come here, mm-hmm. you know, and host anything, certainly to host anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could run water. Maybe you could come run water, make sure the building was <laughs> safe, right? Maybe I could keep the IT running so the website would stay up. Yeah. But you couldn't be here. It was illegal for you, for the, the, the very people you do this for to come here. What do you do? You know what I mean? That you can't serve. And somehow we did. Somehow everybody did. Mm-hmm. And the libraries, not only are they still here, but I believe we're stronger now than we were before because we've we've developed mm-hmm. all these things out of necessity mm-hmm. and not out of conformity. Like, you know, if if if, if um, Emily wanted to do take and makes back before March twenty twenty, it would have taken a lot. It would Probably have taken approval. It would have taken proof. It would have taken why why would yeah. we do this when they can just come in the you building? Have to find money for it. Mm-hmm. Right. But now it's a continued service. Yeah. If we want to do curbside pickup before March twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Why? They can just come in. Why would you, you know, put something out closer for them to get to it because it's more convenient. But that's still a service mm-hmm. and so is yeah, the, so are the take and makes yeah. that that are being used that we didn't have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those were built out of necessity and I gotta be honest, those are some better services. Mm-hmm. Uh, built out of necessity than than built out of you know conformity of try or trying to do things and mm-hmm. it just worked out so yeah. um, now that we're all back and well was that a trip um, <laughs> and we've been back for quite some time we were mm-hmm. one of the one of the libraries that were able to um, do things right with PPE and with barriers and open pretty early um, so tell us what you learned from being remote and what you've carried over from the lockdown and your goals moving forward. That's a big, that's a really loaded question. It is a loaded question. has a lot like, what's <laughs> where have you been and where are you going? You know, like that's a big one. So number four is pretty, pretty big. Yeah. So I want to, I want to say that probably the first thing I learned from being remote, um, is don't be afraid to fail. Cause we honestly just kind of, I, I threw basically everything at the wall and to see what would stick. And I didn't let anything really, um, way heavy on me as to like, okay, that didn't like the zoom programs. Like I would hold a zoom. I held, I tried to hold a book club 
Nobody came. Literally nobody came to this book club. And I was like, okay, this isn't me. This is the situation that we're in, you know, and let's try something else. Okay, book clubs don't work, but watch and learn too. All right, we're going to keep going with that. So kind of learning to to not be afraid to try things. And so long as it doesn't end in the library being burnt to the ground, you should be fine, you know? <laughs> Which at the time probably wouldn't have mattered because we weren't here. So it didn't right. <laughs> yeah. And think about this too. I mean, in terms of the investment mm-hmm. of the library, Zoom didn't really cost a lot for the library. Oh, no, I mean, other than paying for Zoom, you know, there, there Which wasn't... was like a laughable bill. Like, <laughs> right. So it really was Hopefully Zoom is not listening to that. Right? <laughs> no, like CEO know, Zoom's right? like, we could have charged more. Like, no. But in, just in terms of like, you know, what the, some of the things that are always like benchmarks, like, well, mm-hmm. how much is this going to cost? Mm-hmm. Or it probably didn't cost anything. So yes, yeah. it, it's, it's okay to fail. We, we preach that all the time on this podcast. But what the the nice part was, it also didn't cost a ton of money to fail Correct. with yeah. that. I yeah. mean, not a lot of what we did during the pandemic cost a lot because we were all making it up as we went along. Yeah. Right. So th- there was a lot more – there was more comfort in failing yeah. too. I was going to say, I think another thing probably is um, the self-sufficiency I learned quite a bit because I didn't have that instant backup in the building where I had like, okay, there's four other librarians on desk. There's a bunch of pages here. There's my supervisor. There's my – uh, the, the predecessor teen librarian, I can ask her at any second what yeah, no, what can't. I should be doing. <laughs> oh, no, I can't do that. Yeah, okay. Right, yep. So, like, everything I was doing, I sort of – I mean, obviously, I was running everything that I needed to run past my supervisor, past her. But at the same time, I was really on my own um, trying to come up with all these different projects. And even coming back into the building, teen services used to be quite a bit of hiring out on things. Mm-hmm. Like, there was almost nothing that the teen librarian – actively ran themselves just by nature of the way the library works here it's a single person running the whole teen services me i'm the only one doing teen services so i can't you know split myself into seven people and run all different programs i have to hire out but there are certain things that um i kind of learned how to you know get more involved as much as i could even with the limitations of schedules and you know other other duties so like the take and makes going back to them again um, some of them, we, we did purchase kits initially back when, when we were just kind of trying to figure out how this whole thing would work. Um, but at this point, it's all me. At this point, though, that's my way to reach the teens at this point, because that uh, those are handmade by me. The video, if there's a video, is me. The instructions that are written out, they're me. You know, and if they have any questions about how it works, you're reaching, you're reaching out to me. So that really is kind of my way to to reach the teens as much as I can. It's a lot of responsibility too. It is, it is. But I kind of I thrive. <laughs> I thrive on it. <laughs> I'm like, it's take and make week. Here we go. You know, um, it's like Braveheart, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sort of that that self sufficiency in that I'm like I'm just constantly trying to make other things and to the best of my ability keep it self contained. Like I'm in charge of all of this. It's like I'm not. I'm not weighing heavy on any of my other colleagues as much as I can because we're all we're all still trying to get back to some semblance of normalcy. I mean, if we talk about adult programming for a hot second, it used to all be in person and now it's half and half. So my adult programming colleague, she's still doing probably maybe 150% of what she used to be doing because there's just the sheer amount of programming that's available now that we're like, ooh, we can do this on Zoom. Yeah. So everybody is super busy and everybody is reaching all different people. So the more things I can do on my own and just kind of manage myself, the better off we are. And I think the pandemic, as terrifying as it was, kind of forced me to grow into like a fully-fledged, self-sufficient teen librarian. <laughs> I, I think it happened, it happened to all of us, though, right? Yeah, oh, we for were sure. working together mm-hmm. but isolated and apart at the same time. I yeah. mean – Oh, yeah. I know for us, for for our department over at Sachem, mm-hmm. we were yes, we were doing programming, you know, remote programming. Mm-hmm. But our bigger focus was when we come back to the building, what's it going to look like? What's it going to yeah. smell like? And, yeah. and we ended up developing a system to become paperless, so a completely paperless nice. department. And when we came back, it launched and it worked. So it kind of worked out to our advantage to mm-hmm. have that pause because it would have taken so much longer. To try to institute that while we're doing a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. it, it actually, worked so well because you didn't have an opportunity to fall back to your old ways, right? You were like, "Hey, we're back. This yep. is new. Yeah. Let's this go. is how we're doing it. We tested yeah. it online, and yeah. mm-hmm. you know, we tested it from home, and it worked. It just worked. Yeah. So it, you know, and it allowed us to actually let people submit stuff from home, mm-hmm. yeah. which which made a big difference. So yeah. that pause, 
I think as much as it was a horrible time, not only did we evolve and pivot and all that stuff, I think we evolved to a point where we learned something. And now just in terms of our own skill sets, we learned how to be independent in, mm-hmm. in trying to figure things out, which yeah. is what we didn't have before. No, you know something? It, and I mean, you have two libraries here that encourage folks to um, work in an environment where they can fail and pivot mm-hmm. and evolve forward. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you have Neely at Sachem, which, you know, we don't have to even um, discuss. She'll allow you to fail, f- fail forward and evolve forward and look at what you folks have done over there. It's ridiculous. It's fine. So, I mean, there is an environment here at Emma where we have a director. Emily has a supervisor. We have people on staff that almost encourage you to come out of, of failing. So if you fail, they'll allow you to fail forward. Mm-hmm. You know, our director, Ted Gutman, and, and Emily's supervisor, Joan Kahnhauser, understood that this was this was like ground we hadn't tilled before. Yeah. You know, so this was <laughs> like, we're trying to make it up as we go, everybody. And I don't know how to get everybody to work from home and get access to their mm-hmm. files. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to do all this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause we never had to. So yeah. we, we didn't have a remote answer. I mean, you had um, to like emergency drop computers to a few people. Yeah. There was a bunch of stuff. So but I, I don't, I don't want to remember when you were oh, doing yeah, that. Yeah. But yeah, we were. So but we, we were saying, delivering like, I remember machines, that being like, right? So that because yeah. people didn't, they had Chromebooks at home. Like you can't do what you do from a Chromebook. Yeah. Fran can't run her, you know, her, all of her accounting and, and Tara couldn't do her HR from a Chromebook. You just mm-hmm. can't. Yeah. Um, so, to, so what I mean is, like, every one of us had the, had to have the capability. I believe this is a testimony for the directors and the and the mm-hmm. and the supervisors out there, because not every library did that. Other libraries tried to do other things and they failed, and they didn't fail forward. They failed, and then later on they figured it out. Oh, we have to do this, and oh, we have to do that. And it was big. You mm-hmm. know, it was big problems for them. Um, so, I just want to point out the environments that that all of us mm-hmm. work in. I mean, it's a blessing to be able to. To do that. No, yeah. Let me give this a shot. And if it doesn't work out, I'll report to you and then we'll try another direction. Mm-hmm. Just to have that freedom to say that to your supervisor is, I think, something we don't always really talk about. Yeah. Because not everybody has that. There are people like, you make a mistake. It's like, well, how come you didn't know that wasn't going to work out? Like, you yeah. know, like, what are you going to do now? You know, like, now you really put us in a hard spot. There's not much of that. No. You know, especially during this time when, when the ground was never tilled in this direction. <laughs> how do we make this happen? Well, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. Okay. Try that and let me know how it works. Like we had that freedom, yeah. which I think not everybody had, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we certainly did because we work at, at these great places with these great people, but not everybody had that. And we didn't have the advantage of looking around and see what other, other libraries were doing. No. Cause they were trying to, to figure it out. Nobody there knew. was <laughs> nothing to look at. And there was some stuff that we all looked at and said, we're not doing that. You know, because oh, yeah. they're just like, you know, like there was some that were just like, I don't think that's going to work. Mm. And we didn't even try that. And there were other things like, you know what? Nobody's doing this, but I think it'll work out. Like the take mm-hmm. and mix. I didn't know anybody else, you know, to bring it back to Emily. I didn't mm-hmm. know anybody else that was like so sure that take and makes were going to be it. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. all we had to do was work out. Not little nuances, but ma- some major <laughs> things like how do we get them to them? How do you know? Mm-hmm. We even worked. I think we worked them into curb. To we the, did. To we the worked them into curbside stuff. back yeah. before they were allowed in the building. Yeah. yeah, which was a novel idea. Like so, it was only books and bags of books, and patrons would come in. And you'd be like, "Books over there, don't look at me." You know? Yeah. And and Emily was like, "Do you think we could do this with take and mix?" Mm-hmm. And and awesome, right? Like, and everybody's like, "That's a brilliant. Why not?" Right? So mm-hmm. and it worked out. But that was. First, the ability to, for, her to, for her to be able to have an idea and move on it. That mm-hmm. was a freedom that not everybody enjoys. Yeah. And then the ability to be like, it didn't really work out. Why don't we try this? Mm-hmm. That was another freedom that I think we, we all enjoy at this table that not everybody gets to do. Yeah. You know, that, that, that freedom to see if it works and then put everything behind it or see if it doesn't work and pivot and retract a little bit and move in another direction. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an unspoken freedom that not everybody gets. Correct. Yeah, you know? yeah it's true. It's true. So, um, what advice would you give librarians starting out in the field and mm. jumping into teen service? Because <laughs> there, there can be fit, pitfalls, right? And what yeah. do you think? Can you identify any of those pitfalls to new librarians? Sorry, library schools, but sometimes well, you don't cover all this. Hopefully, stuff. you're not going to go through another pandemic that Emily had to go through for yeah. you. But yeah, right. exactly. yeah that would be tough, and right? we do sort of have a little bit of a blueprint now. Like, I mean, who yeah. knows what's coming next? But right. if something like this happened, I think we would all be, all right, let's go back. We got this like round two. Um, Hopefully there's never a round two, but I feel like we have a little bit of a like idea of what would happen with something like this. I would starting out in the field, honestly being open and just sort of learning as learning as you go is really kind of a big thing. I mean, we keep harping on like up. I didn't learn this in library school, but it really is a big thing. Like you go into library school and if you haven't worked in a library, some people don't most 
anyone going to library school, my biggest thing I tell them is like, yes, get the degree, but go work in a library. If you have not worked in a library before, do not go to school and come out of a library. For one, it's not going to look good on your resume because people are going to be like, well, you've never been in a library. And for two, you learn so much more on the floor than you do in the classes. Um, just about all of that, so that social interaction and that really like what, what do the patrons actually need sort of things. Um, but new to the, new to librarianship, um, you know, first day behind the desk is just sort of pick up as much as you can. See, watch how everyone around you is working and take what you think works and leave what you don't. Um, I mean, everyone at Emma Clark, in at least in the adult department who I work with, they work vastly different ways. They do things, I mean, simple things like placing a book hold. There's about three different ways people do that. And, you know, new librarians come in and they're like, what's the right way? There, There is no right way. It's which way works best, which mm-hmm. way works best mm-hmm. for you. Yep. So, you know, learning to just kind of be able to go, okay, let's, let's see if this is going to work. This is not, this is good. This is not good. And just, you know, own that you're learning as you go, but you all, you're also, you are a full-fledged librarian now. You're, you're allowed to kind of take that and be like, yeah, I can, I can do these things. I love that. Did you hear that nugget? That little nugget that mm-hmm. you can pull out of there? Like take what works for you and leave the rest. Yeah. That yep. leaving of the rest is, is really tough part sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. it, it, it falls into that ethos of that's the way we've always done it. Oh my which gosh. Which is the and worst thing. We you refuse say. to say that anymore. <laughs> at least at Emma Clark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got mm-hmm. to see, I could comment on that one because I got to see Emily do it for real. You know, working with her, having the, the honor to work with her as a colleague to see that. I mean, my advice would be having seen how she did it from the outside or from the inside, um, what, using all the stress and the anxiety and the fear of the unknown, you know, watching her turn that into energy to make better programs here or at home was absolutely amazing. You know, I mean, I mean, we started, the, I have to go back for a second, but Erin Scharschmidt and I started the teen services department or teen services building in Port Jeff. Yes. And she is an absolute um, genius when it comes to teen services programming mm-hmm. and running that department and doing everything. She said, I mean, by far and above the oh, best, yeah. the person that I know that wrote the book on teen services mm-hmm. uh, for, for, sure. for Suffolk County. I, oh, would yeah. say. I mean, she was doing video games and, and video game systems in the building and had her own space and developed it from nothing. Moved yeah. the furniture. I moved the furniture down with her and rebuilt that building <laughs> with her from the ground up. So yeah. I get to, Aaron, if you listen to any of this stuff, um, unbelievable times that we had and and so now being here and watching you do what she did for us mm-hmm. you know put you in the same in the same group with Aaron which is like I only Yay. know two people <laughs> I only know Aaron and Emily must be something about the ease mm-hmm. but just watching you use the stress and watching you use the anxiety and the and the, the the fear really of is what do I do is this going to work they didn't cover this in library school or any school right mm-hmm. how do you run through the pandemic how do you come <laughs> back from the pandemic what do you do now after post pandemic to to get the attention of teens in the group that you know the, the places that we serve there was no book for that Mm-mm. and you guys wrote it i mean to all the teen services group you know group out there you all wrote it mm-hmm. and i watched emily do it and the, i mean the thing that stood out to me was was using the anxiety using the stress using the the, just the raw fear and turning that into some positive energy that she brought to not just the building but to her services as a librarian and mm-hmm. and, and focused on the teen group watching that energy is just is so raw and so real uh, it was such a it was such a really a, a thing for me to be to do what i like emily what do you need okay let's make that work from <laughs> yeah. the tech side like you know whatever whatever i can do like i'll have jim help but you know what do we need to get to make that idea work because that's awesome go 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 and we never we never there wasn't a wall that we couldn't break through or mm. jump over you know or, ru- or run around <laughs> Right. In some cases, literally all run around to, to get these folks the services that, that Emily thought they needed. And just watching that was really cool. And we're, I think, exponentially better workers for the community because of mm-hmm. what we went through and coming out on the other side. Mm-hmm. So now, like, everyday things that come up are like, we went through a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, what, what, is, what is doing this for five more minutes or helping you? I think our services now are over and above. And at Sachem, yeah. it's the same way. Mm-hmm. Our services are better. They're, they're over and above and more appreciative of the community because we know what we can do now. You know, it's like, it's like winning that race, winning that battle. We came out on the other side mm-hmm. and to watch all the stress and fear and anxiety be used as energy to make our now services, post pandemic services better. That's an incredible story. Absolutely. And we did, we, the computers and libraries thing, the mm-hmm. statistics were mind blowing. <laughs> 
the teen – I mean, we all have statistics, but when it got to Emily's part and she's like, yeah, I served 8.6 8. million people over the last four months. I did it all by myself and I ran a soup kitchen too. Like, I mean, the statistics <laughs> were ridiculous. We had, we had, I don't know, 50 or 60 or 70 people attend that, mm-hmm. that program over Zoom. And they were just like, what the numbers are crazy. The, the numbers of the people that don't come into most libraries mm-hmm. or that don't show interest yeah. in public libraries from the teen group, mm-hmm. um, the numbers were staggering. The statistics, how you got to them during a pandemic and post pandemic, the numbers were mind blowing. It was just incredible how it was done. And I'm sure libra- other libraries have stories like this. But for our community, it was a first off. It's never yeah. been done like that. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a first off for just about every community. It was, yeah. 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 But the numbers, I mean, even the people that were there, they were like, really? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, for, an un- for an, I guess, not unreachable, but difficult to reach yeah. group. That's, you know? that's a hard demo. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. And they say if you can't. If you can't get teens for any anything, I mean, it's it goes down like products. Like if you can't sell them on this iPhone when they're a teenager, they're never going to switch to it when they're an adult. You know, so it's the same. It's like if you can't sir, if you can't reach these teens at when they're teenage and get them into the library, they're not going to come back. They're probably not going to come back until they are maybe parents. Maybe they'll come back with their little kids and do programs, or they just get you know to. A, elderly age and they need a service so this is the first time they're reaching out to a library for this so like if you want to build lifelong library users you have to get those teens because they're not being dragged by their parent they're coming of their own accord and to get them to want to come is you know maybe one of the the most important things i'm trying to do here agreed absolutely and it's cool watching it yeah i mean it's not great watching her stress out sometimes I'm like, <laughs> just like she's done for me like you're gonna make it it's gonna be okay how can we fix this with technology like you know yeah. and, it, and it works out it really does yeah. it's just it's really neat to be on the other side and watch the successes but the successes came at a cost and they came a trial and error and it, i think we're stronger as a community i think we're stronger sure yeah. sure so i want to thank emily and bob for hosting us at emma clark Emma S. Clark Memorial Library. Emma Sarah, Emma Sarah Clark. Emma Sarah Clark. That's right. <laughs> and for taking the time to talk with us about teen librarianship. So when we come back, we are going to be asking Emily our top 10 library questions or the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. I love that. And we always give credit to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list of questions that we ask of all our guests. She should get a royalty for now. Like Emily, <laughs> you can't just say her name for a hundred episodes and what, be like, here's a hundred bucks. Like, come on. Well, what about Ellen Drew? Does she owes Ellen us like a million Ellen dollars. She's retired. No, I mean, she's still, she's still, she's still killing it. She's got a pension. She's still killing it. <laughs> but she's still killing it. She, of course but she Melanie is. Melanie Cardone, like we mentioned her name, like almost like. Every episode. It's like, we should give you a dollar for something. Every, every like we get on She'd Facebook, be up to almost a hundred dollars now. She'd almost a hundred dollars. Something. But we appreciate it. Cause you know what? I mean, I remember that. Yeah. Chris is like, ah, oh, we just need something. Need, I don't know what it is. We need is. a hook. We need something. And of course, what the heck could I think of? And he's like, Melanie's got it. And then <laughs> she it, nailed it. And that was it. Boom. And the local history room at Satrum is hysterical. She success. came up with the idea. That's one of those people that just like ooze success. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll be back in just a moment. And we're back with Emily Ostrander, the teen librarian at the Emma S. Clark, Emma Sarah Clark Memorial Library, who will be our next participation in our 032 list. And once again, thanks to Melanie Cardone. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Got to have fun with it. The questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, a source for library news that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. They do a great job of educating and informing library professionals on topics from all over the world. As always, thank you, Literary Hub. First question, what did you want to be when you were a child? When I was under 12 years old, I wanted to work at Disney World. 12 years old, I decided I wanted to be a librarian instead. She is a lifer. That was quick. That was quick. That was, <laughs> doesn't your wife have the same story? Yeah, she Almost. does. Pretty close, right? Pretty close. She yeah. walked into the trailer when they were building the library and said, I want to work here, Mom. Boom. And she was what? Like nine years old. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know the name. I don't know the years, but she four? was four. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Yep. Yeah. That's great. And an unbelievable service to the Kanaqua community. I so love it. it, it ridiculous we don't always get to right embellish 
No. But the Kanekwa Library for the Kanekwa community? I can't even. They do a great job. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? I'm going to guess your mother. Yes. Because I was going to say definitely my mom. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. My mom definitely brought me to the library. Um, I So to, my first memory is actually attempting to count uh, the items in a jar for a summer reading raffle. So, like, standing by the desk, and I was probably, like, maybe three feet tall trying to, like, count, count across. <laughs> was it M&M's or Starburst or Skittles? It, it was something, was, like, something that. like that. I want to yeah. say it was, like, M&M's because I, I, it's a very vague memory. And it's from Massapequa Library, so I had to be four-ish, okay. maybe. that I, If I was counting, I had to be around probably Which like branch? Four-ish. I don't know. Which building? Um, It had a big glass ceiling. Hey, Massapequa people, hit yeah, us, us up. Know. Let us know. Yeah. If it still has a glass ceiling, did you, I don't did know. You win, did you win the thing again? No, uh, I did not. I, I never calculate those things And you still correctly. decided to be a librarian. Yeah, yeah. My The first memory my mom actually brings of bringing me into a library um, is not actually a particularly positive interaction. Um, the first time – so, okay, so it's the 90s. So whoever's working at Massapequa in the circulation department, it's probably – not you. You're probably not the one who did this. You're probably still not there. You're probably not there. Yeah. So, you know, not, not to not to badmouth any libraries that are, you know, whatever. But um, my mom brought me into the Massapequa library, checked out some books. I was probably about 18 months old. Um, went up to the circulation department and um, was carrying me in one hand, the books in the other. So um, – to, you know, finish the transaction, she put me down on the counter. Oh, boy. I was boy. sitting on the counter. Oh, boy. I know where this is going. There you go. That's it. Baby yep. Emily sitting on the counter. Um, and the circ clerk was like, you can't put her up here. And my mom was like, oh, this is my her first interaction in the right, library. Right. And she's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that I shouldn't put my so new you, child in. You literally got told no from yeah, day one. Day like, one. Oh, I was wow. told no at the library. Oh, man. So when she came... It, it ends nicely. When we moved into this area when I was seven years old and she came into the Emma Clark Library, she the welcoming attitude that she got from the children's department and the circulation clerks, she was like, this is 100% a different library from nice. where I came from. She go. was like, they love the kids. They are so welcoming you here. You can't pay for that kind of publicity. So, right, yeah. that's it, right there. So, <laughs> we're almost Satrum. So and close. ironically, <laughs> I was so, so, so close. <laughs> Most of the librarians working when I was a little kid in the children's department are still there. So, you you know, I can say, yes, the services here are still just as good as when I was a little kid. (laughs) Very good. And if you put kids on the counter at our circulation desk, you probably won't get yelled at. No. No. Don't let them fall. Yeah. I was going to say, don't, no danger. But, you know, if you've got a 12 month old and you need to kind of. We're going to be in trouble for that part. (laughs) Cease and desist talking about children on the set desk. Okay, so you kind of answered this question already, but when did you decide to work in libraries? So when I was 12, I started volunteering uh, as a teen volunteer, and I th- I think the correlation occurred there. Um, I think volunteering and helping in programs, I started to realize, like, this is a valid possible career for me because I loved libraries to begin with. The other thing is it's also the first place I was allowed to bike by myself um, outside of my go. neighborhood. Thank God Look I wasn't a deli. Yeah. Yeah. Deli Slicing meat. It's the only place I can know on a bike, guys. Slicing so, the meat. So for me, the library was like a, a independence. I was able to go there by myself and just kind of dive into the stacks and stay there for hours. And, you know, prior to having a cell phone, you know, I'd kind of keep an eye on the clock and be like, all right, I've been gone for 90 minutes. They're going to send out the cavalry if I'm not back, you know. Um, but from my house to the library, there are no street lights. Uh, there's no stoplights. So I guess the – it is. It is actually a very safe route. So my parents decided they're like, okay, she wants to go out on her bike. We're going to let her go to the library. So that was like almost every other day I was like, I'm going to the library. Let's go. Boy, have times changed. Not many kids come to the library anymore. With On a bike. By themselves, yeah. By themselves. On a bike. On a bike. No. It doesn't really happen. Not too often. Or skateboards or rollerboards. We kind of get them over at Sage. Do you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's just weird. It's like, not I couldn't, like it used I, to be. I have three kids. I couldn't imagine be like, yeah, go on your rollerblades, go down to the library. I just couldn't. I don't know. It's different. Yeah. Well, my yeah. daughter walks to the library. Okay, but oh, you're right there. That's, yeah, we're not pretty fair. close. I'm interested in this next one. So, who is your favorite fictional? <laughs> right, just because favorite fictional librarian. I I was thinking about this question for a while because I was actually going through a list and I was like, none of these librarians, like none of them, mm. are really like. A librarian I would strive to be. But 
Honestly, I think the the one I like the best is the like five seconds at the beginning of Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the oh, ghost lady. librarian. Like, right, that part. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes, and then she does what every good librarian turns, does. After she says no, she yells. You know, that's it. Turns yeah. into like the the creature. Yep. yep. Yeah. So I mean, I don't I don't want to grow up to be like her, but I I love that <laughs> representation Pretty of cool. a librarian. Have yeah. we had that before? Yes. Uh, have we really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The Ghostbusters has been a big one. Okay. Nice. Okay, so what would you be doing if you weren't working as a librarian? My my second thought when I was younger was to work at the Long Island Museum because I loved the Carriage Museum, and I went to a lot of programs there when I was younger. So I sort of loved the environment over there. I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah. I think that was actually probably on the table for even a little bit longer after deciding that I was a librarian because I was kind of like, well, this is a good option if like I can't make it yeah. in library world, like a curator or like a um. I don't know if I thought that far. Hmm, okay. I, I guess maybe like a curator. Um, I just loved the whole environment, so I just wanted to be there every day, all day. So I don't know, maybe even a guide or yeah, something. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. This is neat. So what is your favorite section of the library? But shouldn't we like uh, not allow teens? I was going to say, outside of teens. It's obviously going to be teens and then children's. Right. Yeah. So it's gonna be, I know where I'm going. <laughs> like, I guess besides the section, like yeah, what, what book area of the library is your favorite? Um... Because we're in a historical building and still have the original built the 1892 building clock tower, I love it in there. It's not we don't really have materials in there besides the um, periodicals that can't um, circulate. Right? Yeah, sure. yeah, I was going to say the the periodicals that can't circulate and some really really old books that also can't circulate. But it's such a beautiful area that I sometimes I just kind of walk around in there for a couple of minutes because it's just so like calming and. You know, I've heard her. She walks around. She goes, "I work here. I can't <laughs> believe I work here." I'm like, well, "What was she talking to herself again?" Sometimes I go up to yeah. <laughs> to get the stuff out of storage, and I'm like, "I can't believe there's a clock tower in here. It's, it's so nice cool. It's gorgeous. It's nice. We it's get to wind gorgeous. it. That's great. <laughs> take our lives. Take our lives in our own hands. Why bind it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add over here at Emma? <laughs> oh boy, we're gonna have to oh, edit boy. this extensively. <laughs> Oh boy! I think I stepped it in and it squished between my toes. (laughs) So this might sound surprising, but not uh, my not yes, teens. I have tons of ideas for teens, but one of the things I feel like we could really add that is lacking is an outdoor play area for the kids. We've been talked that has been talked about forever, and nothing has really come of it. But, you know, having a little outdoor play area, kind of like Middle Country has and like Sachem has, is like having some place for the kids to go would be fantastic. So, yeah. So, I mean, these these outdoor play areas are just beautiful. Um, we're, in tough, we're in such a tough spot because we're a triangle. Yeah, I know. With our parking lot, we're a triangle. And we really can't do much on the front lawn because no, it's so really. close to traffic. Yeah. Nothing that's static that stays. So, and the back lawn is like 10 feet wide. It's yeah. Not, I was going to say, I mean, it's if we're a tough, talking tough about – Part of their question here did say infinite space. So, like, if it's we true. could pretend right. that we had more space than we do. If we, we could do. Bulldoze, that, bulldoze down the woods yeah, all the way over to, yeah. the, to the tennis court. So then we yeah. could put, yep. There you right. go. That's perfect. Yes. Yeah. We'll, buy the, we'll buy the land next door. Um, but as it comes to teen, I would love for one to just extend out the area that I have because it's it's not a department. It's just an area mm-hmm. of its own. Yeah. So, I mean, the the teen area that has, like, the, the teen collection and whatnot is a repurposed tutoring room. Um, from as far as I know, so it's a very small room and it butts up against the computers where the adults are sitting and everything. The teens don't have much privacy at all over there. In fact, I've actually been actively working on trying to get them more um, independence and privacy in their collection. Um, I took out any kind of seating that is like quote unquote adult friendly seating um, because we do have adults and 95% of the time it's completely innocent, but they'll just hang in the teen room. And the teen room is like 10 feet by 8 feet. So, you know, you see an adult, you're a teenager, you see an adult in there, you're not going in there. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. So trying to kind of create a little bit of a bubble for them is great. But, you know, infinite money, infinite space, I'd love to give them like their own floor or something like that where you could have, you know, the books and the video games, but also like the program room or and the, you know, active use spaces, the maker space, like all different things of that sort would be fantastic. And then we could turn into that, you know, hangout spot for the teens as opposed to just to kind of come in, get your stuff and get out, you know. On the so. third floor right next to the pool. Yes. 
Yeah. We said infinite money. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We I did. Would, yeah, I would was, love. Uh, I would love a pool outside. A pool. Yeah. Well, that would be, that would be neat. A community pool. Yeah. <laughs> a slip and slide from the third floor down to something the else. That would be neat. <laughs> Roller coasters. So, what do you absolutely love about libraries? I love that they're kind of a welcoming space for all. That it's some place that you can go and you're not going to be expected to do anything particularly. You know, you walk into a store and you're expected to buy something. If you wander around for too long without that, they're gonna the um, the salespeople are gonna start looking at you like, oh boy, what's going down? The library, you can come in, you can you know take a rest in a corner, you can read a book, you can you know do something else. I mean, we have when I was a kid, it was my refuge place. Still, kind of is. I still come here, and it's still a refuge for me when the outside world gets too crazy. Um, but I would come to the library and just kind of sit in the stacks for hours and let the world go by. And having a place where you can do that, and it's a fairly safe space as well, is um, fantastic. And I've seen, because I've been here for 10 years, I have seen people kind of grow through using the library resources and you know finding this as a space that they can be themselves. Okay. Great answer, huh? Yeah, it's not That's bad. Not bad. It's not bad. Thank you. So, what is the weirdest? Not necessarily worst, <laughs> but the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library career. Uh, that I think that award it's not goes sitting on to... the circ desk at another library. <laughs> no, I would say that award goes to uh, summer reading of I don't know 2015 or something like that, um, when there was a kid trying to use the fish tank as a touch tank. So yeah, there was a was kid he successful. Well, <laughs> he touched the fish. So at the time, our fish tank was probably about three feet tall. It had, or well, it was on a pedestal. It was probably about five feet in the air. But the the it, there was you can't touch the ground on that. You can't put your hand in and touch the bottom of the tank. That's the point of touch tanks is to like feel the critters on the bottom or whatever. It's not built like that. So it's not like they mistook the situation and were like, oh, I thought it was a touch. No, it doesn't look anything like it. So I was a page at the time. I was you know bookshelver whatever. Um, I see this kid on a chair next to the the fish tank, and they've got their hand all the way in the fish tank. And I'm like, oh, honey, you can't do that. Um, you know, come get off the chair. We have to move the chair back to where it has to go. And they got down, they moved on, whatever. I thought it was fine. I come back two minutes later to the same area. I find Dad holding their kid over the fish tank <laughs> with both hands in the fish tank trying to catch the fish, at which point I went, this is above my pay grade and found a full-time librarian because i was like how do you tell an adult you can't be sticking your toddler in the fish tank it was right. like it, it just didn't funny. make i was like my it just did not compute have you heard like, that one what we, am I heard that. we have not heard that one <laughs> that's when we should have had the library piranhas in the fish the ms tank. clark yeah. memorial yeah. library yeah. touch tank touch tank mm-hmm. yeah non-touch mm-hmm. non-touch tank yeah it was the most bizarre I'm telling you, it is not a welcoming, like, two hands tank. You have to put a lot of effort into getting your kid into that fish tank. And they did. He did. Yeah. And today that boy's a deep sea diver. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's like welding boats or something mm. like that. Uh, this is a very dangerous question, yeah. so I'm going to have to do some editing. Do you have a favorite regular patron? Right now, one of my favorite teen patrons, I think, is Marley. <laughs> um, she comes into the library. She's 14 years old, and she's been one of my like regular D and D teens. We started a D and D group uh, very recently to try to bring in a different population of kids. And Marley is 14 uh, going on 24. <laughs> and, Don't we all know what that's like? Yeah. Oh yeah. And she is just like a ball of sunshine when she comes into the library, but also the most helpful kid I've ever known. Um, I am determined to make her a librarian when she gets old enough. I, you know, I see a spark in her that I'm like, you can be the next generation of librarian because she will, um, take charge in classes and sort of like help the younger kids with things that they need help with or like help in D and D and do different things. And she'll come in and she'll have ideas. She's come to me and been like, I want to do a program on this for the po- the preschoolers. And I'm like, let me see how I can make this happen because that's fantastic. You know, um, children's department has told her she's the best teen volunteer they've ever had. And, like, any interaction I have with her, I'm like, there is something about this girl that she's going to go places. So being able to kind of see – anytime I see her, I'm just like, yes, Marley's here. So I really hope in, like, 10 years you're going to be interviewing Marley about, you know, her progression from, you know, teen volunteer to librarian as well. And And I'll come come in and be like, I was the one who did that. I'm now the director at so-and-so, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. 
Yeah. Okay, our final question. What are people without library cards missing out on? Free she, stuff. I was uh, going to say she's going to cry. No, gonna, who doesn't have a library card? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> there are people out there without library cards? I must go on. I judge people without library cards. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, but, um, I mean, basic free stuff, for one. You get access to, you know, hundreds of thousands of materials that you would otherwise have to purchase um, but also access to, you know, services that we provide, um, you know, on classes on different topics and um, the databases. And, I mean, we have patrons that come in every other day to take online classes through some of our systems, and they're slowly working their way up the chain of, you know, their career that they came in, and they're like, I'm learning, you know, Excel so that I can get to my, get to be a clerk, too, at this location or whatever. So you're missing out on that. You're also missing out on, you know, a, a social aspect where you can come and meet all different kinds of people at the library, you know, and um, especially in the programs, you get to you get to see a lot of different different types of people, and it's just so much fun. It's so. <laughs> a good answer. It's a good answer. So Emily Ostrander, mm. thank you for so much, so much for coming on today, thank and thank you. you for hosting. That was a great, great pleasure, <laughs> right? It was me. a lot of fun. Yeah. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.